technique and drills make you go faster, not getting fitter and fitter and fitter. More technique, more downwind, and honing skills. You're never too old to change bad habits, and you're never too old to learn new ones. I can teach you all the mistakes. I've had so many mistakes in this life of mine, long life, paddling life, and why should you make the same mistakes when I've already been through there, done that, bought the t-shirt a number of times, Hi there, welcome to the Coach Tulupski podcast. These episodes are taken from Oscar's live interactions with his Oscar's club members and are great for anyone looking for insights into paddling faster and having more fun. Okay, so looks like it's 11 o'clock and uh, welcome there. I see Claudia as well there. Torsten's also watching and that's good. So we've got a good few people. I'm sure it'll just keep on growing. Um, the Monica. The whole thing about the Monica is to not overtrain before the race and not to be undertrained. End of the day, the race is going to take you between Hank's time of 3.11 and some people did 6 hours 15. We did a lot of uh, pre-race um, paddling in downwind conditions between 2 and 3 hours every day, every second day in fact. Most days we paddled twice, a technique session and then a downwind session. And then leading up to the race, um, we took the last four days a little bit easier, only doing drills and technique. And then come the race day, I had a plan, I've always got the same plan. I basically eat all my food four hours before race start. And so at 6 a.m. I had eggs and bacon. And the little carbs I had was sourdough bread, which is a, a new thing I found that you can have a little bit of that. It's got carbohydrates, but it has, hasn't got lectins in it, which is the inflammatory um, part of the carbohydrate. Um, so four hours before, um, had that food, had a few, uh, a little bit of water, not much, um, about one hour before the start that I had my last bit of water because I don't want to get my stomach working on trying to, uh, digest water or food or whatever. So four hours before, and then we had prepared some, uh, um, juice or, or water with a kind of non-sweet sweetening sort of energy drink. Uh, Peter Tia is a long distance swimmer developer, a doctor. So it was interesting to see if we're going to need it, you know. So an hour before there were big waves so we had to really be careful how to get off the beach at uh, Molokai. That was challenging but luckily enough we didn't have any kit on, on shore, so we just had to get ourselves and the double out, which was fairly easy. Got out, jumped a few big waves, and then off we went. The wind was blowing really hard, so I thought, okay, this is going to be a lot of fun. And it was a lot of fun. You start off and you just take it easy. Don't go too hard at the start because, you know, I was hoping to do about three hours 45. I was in obviously an entry-level double with Seth Coppers, who's who hasn't been paddling that long. Strong man. Uh, and kept in time, as you see in some of the pictures. Went off nice and easy, and then as, as the waves build up, and you'll see, you can imagine there's 225 odd, um, between 200 yeah, escort boats, so you can imagine all the wakes, the boat wakes were all over the place. So the start was fairly uh, rough, and then the wind picked up as you get off the island of Molokai, because it's sort of coming nearly from your back. It's quartering, it's coming from the right-hand side all the time. So you've always got to make sure um, you're surfing right, otherwise you'll end up too far south. And uh, after about 
two and a half hours was going really well. We, obviously, the guys took off very fast, like they always do. We didn't take off fast, and we slowly overtook most of the people, slowly worked through the field, and only with 18 kilometers to go, and remember, this is a 53-kilometer race, I decided to say, well, I wasn't actually thirsty, I wasn't actually hungry, I wasn't that tired. I thought, gee, we better take some drink. So, and that was at, a, at about two hours 45 before we had our first drink. And then we just shared a little bottle about this big. So it was probably about 400 milliliters. And I had 200 milliliters and um, Seth had 200 millimeters. Off we went. About 10 kilometers from the end, the end is Makapu where the waves start doing this and it's not no more runs and that was tough i was taking strain there and so was seth and then uh, as we came sorry about that let's see if i can fix it up again um so as you get into makapu it becomes seriously choppy and um and tough there's no unless you've got really a lot of power you actually got no chance of of um of actually catching these runs so you have to have a lot of power to catch these runs in makapu and it's all over the place it's jumping backwards and forwards if you've got big power you can actually go a little bit quicker but we were we were going through a sort of a bad patch and then i would try to go into the wall like similar close to china wall but not not where china wall is so when you turn the corner we saw there were big waves and I couldn't go along China Wall. There was no chance I could do that. It was, it was closing out right along the bay. So what I did is I went left, tried to catch a little wave, a little wave, big wave. And as you see in some of the videos, um, we we're trying to miss them. Uh, we we're trying to miss all the waves. And suddenly when I looked up, there was this big set coming and we missed the first one. I thought, oh, that's all right. We're fine. Then we'll be, we'll catch another one from behind. And then, funny enough, there was a bigger one behind and we paddled like crazy to go around it. And as you see, it caught us, knocked us off, blew the double, I held onto the double for a while and then it got out of my feet. And then it was in the middle of the channel. So we were a long way away from where danger normally is. Um, it was funny that people were still coming past, the boat was away, but nobody even stopped to say, oh, can we help you? They didn't even worry, they just paddled along. You know, in South Africa, most people would have stopped, helped, got the boat closer. So I was swimming like crazy for the boat and the wind was getting blown, the boat was getting blown away. So I eventually had to abandon my paddle and swim like crazy for the boat. I got the boat, jumped in with no paddle and then uh, paddle with my hands like that to where Seth was, eventually picked up all the pieces and uh, finished the race. We probably lost between 15 and 20 minutes uh, worrying about swimming around which wasn't bad because it was fairly hot and then when we finished we were surprisingly not so bad my garmin said that i should rest for 72 hours so i definitely pushed myself but it didn't feel that bad um we had uh, a meal and went to prize giving and the next morning we actually paddled no blisters so the paddles worked perfect no blisters for 53 kilometers no pain in the body so that was also good and i felt uh, fairly strong straight away so we also did a new kind of thing uh, um, called called uh, nad you can look it up it helps to replenish your energy sources intravenously 
Um, no leash. Uh, Torsten's asking no leash. No, you don't. Need, you never want a leash in the in the in the in the surf zone. No leash unless it was a ten millimeter rope could withstand uh, waves. Um, even the big big surfers with a little board, those leashes would snap like anything. So you don't really ever wear a leash in. You can wear a leash when you're far out to sea and 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 you fall off, and your boat gets blown away, but leashes in the surf zone are, are fairly dangerous if you have a strong enough leash that can hold a single ski or a double ski around your leg it'll pull your leg off i'm sure or pull a few ligaments out there so um all in all it was a good race um hank did a fantastic job winning and a fantastic thing i saw it was it was really fun i mean sometimes you think oh i should have been a single but you can't cry over spilled milk it was a, it was Fantastic conditions, tough towards the end, uh, tough towards the end, but all in all, I was happy to have been there, done that. First time ever in a double, which is a lot of fun. Uh, I can re highly recommend that, as long as you've got a good partner who knows he's gonna push a long way. I mean, it's, it's funny, like after two and a half hours, 2.45, I was like, oh, this is gonna be so easy, and then you suddenly, the pain and the, and the bad uh, conditions hit you and then you've got to be ready for it you know so it's important to be prepared and realize that the Molokai is not not a not an easy race even you'll speak to Hank you'll speak to Corey they all take strain no matter if you're winning or you're just there to finish I'll take uh, <laughs> next year Phil Phil saying what's happening next year well next year we'll see maybe if everything goes well and, I, and I've got to make a decision and I'll probably make a decision around January whether I go in the singles because I still think in a year like this year that I still can mix it with the best but I have to be super fit and know that I've got to push my body till for three hours, 11 minutes and these young guys are, are young and strong so I've got to do the same so I've got to do a little bit more than them and uh, hopefully also have the conditions. So maybe I'll have a backup plan. I'll either do it doubles if it's not so good and singles if it's good. So I'll have to have a very, um, a very good partner that can understand, you know. So next year, we don't know, you know, from, I've got a very full, full program now. I mean, next weekend, this weekend I'm in uh, Porto. Next weekend, I'm in uh, Copenhagen, so we'll do uh, a live crossing from Copenhagen. The following weekend, I'm in uh, Chicago in Traverse City with a guy called Nick Murray, um, Sersky, TC Sersky. Following weekend, I'm in Germany and next to Hamburg. Um, and then the following weekend, back to the Nella Summer Challenge, then the Canadian Sersky Championships, then the Gorge, and that's too much already to to uh, take in and remember all my trips. So out there, always trying to trying to uh, inspire people to paddle, trying to make uh, people enjoy paddling more. So that's what I've, I've got coming up for me. Um, Ronnie's joined us, very good. So, so any questions on Molokai before I answer a few questions that have come in through the week? As I say, this is gonna be a weekly uh, live chat and you can ask questions and I'll always change the time zones because I'm always in different time zones all over the world but um, any direct Molokai um, questions before we move on to the questions that 
some guys that are really posted. The bottom line is Molokai should be on somebody's bucket on everybody's Sersky bucket list. It's not it's not XP. It's not it's not um cheap race to do. It's not a cheap race to do and and uh but it's one of those races that you must do in your life. The funny thing is the best part of it is actually when you when you um building up to the race. There's so many nice downwinds uh and, and things like that, you know, so, so it's a lot of fun to be had in Hawaii. It's got to be the best place in the world to paddle the uh, surf skis. The water's lovely and warm. There's always wind every day and a lot of people are out there. And once you finish that race, you know you've uh, achieved uh, something special, very special. Pork leg on the braai. <laughs> I'd love that. Yes, everybody's bucket list has got to be. Uh, about the costs. Okay, so the costs, the biggest cost is that every person has to have an escort boat and you can and sort of understand why because uh, what happens is that um, if you do fall off or you have a problem, there's no way you can, um, you can actually swim to shore. There's no shore. It's between two islands. That's why it's quite tough. So expenses are getting your renting your surf ski, renting your escort boat, getting your escort boat over and your surf ski over to Molokai. Then from there, either staying in Molokai, flying over to Molokai. The accommodation is not so expensive um, when you're there, but and then the entry fee is about $250. So there's a lot of uh, added expenses, but if you budget and you and you make it part of your, your, your um, holiday, and guaranteed you'll have downwind every day, sometimes twice a day if you fit enough. So there's a lot of, it is like a week week vacation, Torsten. I mean, it is, I, I make it a two week vacation and, and I really have fun. I, I'm catching runs all the time, teaching people all the time. And, and that's, that's the fun part of Hawaii. And you meet a lot of people, you can rub shoulders with anybody there, Corey, Hanks, they, everybody's friendly, everybody's knows it's gonna be a tough race. And um, so it is fun to be part of. Yeah, so as, as, as uh, Cam says from New Zealand, yes, it is a, it's got to be on your bucket list. Just save up. Save up. Okay, any more Molokai questions? My, my machine's messing around, so I've got to hold this and I, and I can get... I've got other questions that people have asked. So some people are asking about math. Torsten is asking about math. Some people don't know a lot about math. The bottom line is, whether you're a professional athlete or just a weekend warrior, if you just keep on math all the time, no matter what you're doing, believe me, you go faster at, um, at the same heart rate. But it takes two to three months, two to three months to adjust to training at math. So it's not going to happen overnight. So it takes two to three months of keeping 180 minus your age. They say that if you are a professional athlete or you're very fit, you can add 10. And if you've had any injuries, you've got to subtract five. So that's sort of a rough guide. When I, at our age, I like to do math all the time and maybe once a week do I push it over math. And when I race, I never watch my heart rate. I go as fast as I can. 
So my little machine just kept on conking out. What can you do? Okay, so so Math, I hope I answered that question. Understand? Okay, fantastic, Phil. Thanks for that, Torsen. I'm sitting in the surf. He puts me at one thing above Math. Yes, that happens to Nello. I paddle with Nello. He's got the same thing. He knows Math's good for him because when he goes over Math. Just because the instability of a surf scheme, a lot of people go over 130. So that's a perfect case in point that you've really got to practice your drills so that when you get in a surf scheme, no matter how rough it is, is that it's going to be easy for you to, to bring your heart rate down. It is. The excitement and all the jumping around and balancing will, uh, will cause your heart rate to go up. So that was a question. Again, we'll always come back to these questions and, and, you'll, and we'll put them out there. Um, here's another one. Corin Smith, would it be possible to cover K1 setup? Uh, K1 setup, seat position, boat trimming. I did answer that on, uh, on, on Facebook as well, but the bottom line, a K1 technique and a Sersky technique should be exactly the same. At the end of the day, we're trying to use our big muscles and uh, that's the same in a K1. Trimming up your K1, what will happen is that you, if you're doing marathon K1 paddling, you really want to try and trim your nose to be down. So when you're on a K1 wake, you can actually really over-exaggerate that you're sitting on the wave so your nose goes down. That's how I trim it up all the time. When you're doing sprints 500 meters, you've got to be in perfect balance. Um, and then when you rotate in your K1, Unlike a surf ski, you haven't got a, a little uh, hump in the middle. You've got nothing. So what you've got to do is set it up so that when you rotate fully, that your leg is bent, slightly bent at full extension, which means it's exactly the same as a bicycle. In a bicycle, when you're cycling on a bicycle, you always, you never put your leg completely straight. It's just slightly bent because from completely straight locked to that, it takes a lot of effort. So you don't want to be all the way like that. So in K1 setup, you want it similar to a Sersky, except uh, you can actually rotate a little bit more because you haven't got the hump, but you don't want your, your legs to be uh, completely flat. Um, okay, so somebody was asking me about 90 degrees, your paddle at 90 degrees. People keep on making the mistake of putting their paddle. This is, I'm not worried about this angle, if you can see that. What I'm worried about is this angle. Too many people put the paddle in next to the boat at an angle like this as opposed to being 90 degrees. Because when it's 90 degrees, you can push down on it and it's not going to slide anyway. It's just going to go out. But if you put your paddle like that, and a lot of people do that, and that's why they think uh, that they are at 90 degrees, but they're not. And then they say, I'm at 67 degrees left or 68 degrees. This degrees, if you're not at 90 degrees as you put that paddle in like that, you're not paddling at 67, you're not paddling at 65, you're paddling at 55. So you must concentrate on getting this paddle in at 90 degrees like that, as opposed to putting it in like that and pulling out. You want to be able to push down and put your body weight on this paddle if it's at 90 degrees. As soon as it's not at 90 degrees, you end up pulling out and you lose all the power of what the wing paddle is trying to do. Okay, okay, let's see. Josh Trevor, huh? can you talk about race strategy, specifically around the start where everybody bolts off the line and then settles into rhythm and then affects the rest of the race? Well, good question. You know, the funny thing about it is that it depends what you're trying to get out of a race. Some people get confused. 
you're not going to win a race, rather go there to enjoy the race. If you're going to win the race, I'm afraid if the guys go off the line flat out, in our sport, you have to go with them. It's like cycling. You, you gain so much from riding each other's slipstream that you can't afford to let them go. Even me at this age, I have to go flat out and I can lose up to one or two minutes and it sometimes can take me nearly an hour to catch up two minutes on these young guys. So it is important to be going off as fast as you can. That's why you've got to do practicing going off as fast as you can. But if you're there to have fun and enjoy the race and rather come past the people at the end, the only race, by the way, is the Molokai where you don't have to go so fast because not even the the young guys go off fast because they realize this is a hard, long race, so they don't take off. But if they are taking off and you want to be in the front, you have to go with them. If you're there just to finish the race and do it, always go off at your own pace. Start off at math and then slowly work higher than math towards the end. Rather be fresh towards the end of a race as opposed to being blowing up at the beginning of the race. So that's what you have to decide. Are you going to be racing to win or racing to have fun and enjoyment? In which case you want to try and keep your heart manageable and then towards the end push hard and hard and it's nothing better than overtaking people at the end of the race, especially the guys that took off so fast at the beginning. It's a good feeling. It gives you a lot of inner strength when you're overtaking people. That's Josh Trev. Okay, here's another one. Also, what are your thoughts on blade size? Should we ideally have a quiver or just or just adjust length to suit distance and conditions? Interesting one. Basically, it's like a, a bicycle. The front cogs are your size of your blade and the back cogs, you know, the, the back gears are the length of your blades. So, yes, you can have a quiver, but in surf ski paddling, I suggest between 205 and, and 220 is the only uh, lengths you need and a fairly small paddle because if you want to make it more, uh, make it harder, uh, I'd say um, just make your paddle longer. In the Molokai, it's a perfect example. I started at 217 this year and what I did is I adjusted my paddle so it wasn't so tight. The clip wasn't so tight on my, on my brutcher paddle. And funny enough, it was just going shorter and shorter and shorter. And I finished the last little bit at 2.13. Uh, so I went all the way from 2.17 to 2.13. Just went basically nearly a centimeter every hour. So it was uh, no problem. Uh, so, so my cadence stayed the same. And then, and then Seth in the back, who's got a higher cadence than me, he went on a, a longer paddle size. Yeah, so he went in a longer paddle size. I went shorter and shorter and shorter through the through the through the race. Again, big blades are normally for two hundred meter paddlers. Maybe push it to five hundred meters, but as soon as you're going over a kilometer or racing in a thousand meter, it's better um, to actually um, go with a smaller blade. Smaller blades are more forgiving on us, as I noticed. Most of my clients are the wrong side of 30 or 40 or 50 and even the wrong side of 60 so don't strain your body there's no benefit rather uh, try and um, save yourself and and don't and don't uh, um, damage your body it's getting older and fragile treat it with respect 
and, and go with a nice soft shaft. That's more important. A softer shaft is more important. Don't believe, even if it's a full carbon shaft, it makes no difference. Depends how you lay the carbon in the, in the shaft. Because if the, all the carbon uh, was in the same line as your shaft, it'll be very stiff. But if all the carbon was at 90 degrees to your shaft, even with a 100% carbon shaft, you could still uh, um, have a fairly soft shaft. I've got the softest, in fact, developed with Bratcher, the softest shaft that you can make full carbon, which is, is really nice. In fact, Seth got his uh, new uh, paddle just before the race. He got it and he said, now this is so much more fun. It's like a golf shaft, you know, it just had the, the correct flex and with the correct flex, flex gave him a little, little bit more uh, power in the water so he didn't have to strain on his ankles and his knees and things like that. Um, there are a couple of, of my clients on the wrong side of 80, Phil, so you're a long way off. <laughs> my father's 82 and paddling every day, in fact, interesting, and he's also going smaller and shorter at 82. He's paddling, the other day he did a 27 kilometer race at 82 years old, and he wasn't lost. So, and again, he's definitely preserving, uh, preserving his body well. Okay, we've got five minutes left. Uh, you can ask a, a quick question before we sign off. And then probably next week, we're going to do it either from Porto, Portugal, or from um, maybe from Copenhagen. So you can see the sights and sounds of Copenhagen. So you can definitely see a few sites that I, I go around to and hopefully um, extract more knowledge on, on how to get better with less effort and more fun. So keep the questions coming. I mean, just always try and get, uh, it's definitely gonna be every week Maybe sometimes I'll do two in a week if if uh, if if it works out. If there's too many quest questions, but the bottom line is the way to enjoy our sport is to perfect your technique, and then once you perfect your te technique, it's less strain on your body, and if it's less strain of your body, you have more fun. Yeah, fun always sounds much better than hard work, and remember, if you're going to do keto. No beer, full no beer, even those low-carb beers. I'd rather have champagne, and when you're on Emirates, you get good champagne. Moe flows quite nicely, and, um, and you don't have to worry about carbs uh, that much. So it's, uh, keto is definitely working for me. I mean, I haven't been training that much, and I keep on losing weight. I'm eating as much as I want. And normally, because I'm on keto now, I only eat once, a day but when you're on an airplane I'm afraid that's quite difficult you end up eating every four or five hours but once I'm home hopefully my, my apartment's refurbished furbished, and uh, then uh, once it's refurbished I'll be able to get back onto a proper keto plan and, and get more more um, more um, training sessions in than once or twice a week Ronnie from Brazil um, thanks for being with us. Can you believe we've got, we've got all the whole world covered? A bit slack in the, in the European department. There's not so many from Europe today, only Falk and Torsten. 
and uh, fill all of the, all the way down in uh, in um, Wollongong or close to Wollongong. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I was very fortunate to fly a business, so you have champagne the whole time. Even uh, when I fly economy, they bring the champagne to the economy class because uh, I've got a few frequent flyer points that make me jump up. But, and even then, even when I'm flying on the airplane, I try and stick to my keto. I only have champagne and I don't eat the bread and I don't have the potatoes and I just have, there's always a meal there and you can eat keto on an airplane, not, not too difficultly. And you don't feel hungry afterwards. Just ask them for nuts. They've always got proper nuts, not peanuts, not legumes. They've got nuts. Uh, especially in Emirates, they've got really nice nuts. Um, in about three hours time, I fly off to Lisbon. I'll spend a night in Lisbon and then uh, catch a train from Lisbon to Porto, which is about two and a half hours to where the Nello factory is, and that's where I live. And I'll be back into, this will be probably the, if my house is finished, it'll be the first time I've unpacked from the 1st of February. I've been living out of suitcase since the 1st of February. It's tough. But I still have a good time. Hi there, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, if you want to join Oscar's club or get access to his free technique video series, you can do that by visiting coachtulipski.com.